The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Dr. David Lieberman. He's the author of the book Mind Reader, which I'm really excited to talk about because I pretty much convinced myself that by the end of this conversation, I'm going to be Patrick Jane like the character on the TV show, The Mentalist. Um, So he's going to teach us all to become human lie detectors. No, just kidding. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Zarlina. I'm doing great. Thanks. So that's what's going to happen, right? We're going to, by the end of this, we're all going to be like The Mentalist guy on TV where we can immediately know if somebody's lying right away, right? And you'll even get that wavy blonde hair if you want. Oh, sure. he—I mean, he has really good hair, actually. <laughs> he um, does, <laughs> and he's Australian, I think. He has like an accent in real life, which yeah. not the point of this conversation. But again, if you've watched the show The Mentalist or any of the shows, because there's been a few that have like you know human lie detector type characters, um, this is the conversation for you because this book is all about how to figure out through the way people talk, what language they're using. Um, to see if they're telling us the truth, if they're on the up and up. So to start, how, how um, explain the general concept to us. How do we approach the idea of like reading people? Right, of course. So, so it is uh, not about you know, psychic tricks like uh, the mentalist. <laughs> Rather, it uses a field similarly sounding called psycholinguistics, which is actually a branch of linguistics and psychology. And it looks at how our everyday thoughts, feelings, and attitudes are reflected in our styles of speaking and the words that we use, and how it can really reveal a great deal about ourselves, our relationships, whether we're prone to depression, if we're being honest, if we feel secure in a relationship, and so on. And uh, it just, it gets rid of all of the uh, older techniques like body language, which I know a lot of people really, really love, but it's just not so effective. Yeah, like that. those are the kind of lie detecting techniques I've heard of before. Like if people aren't making eye contact, if they're looking like, what is it, like up to the left right. or something. Right. Are right, those right. outdated in your view? Right. Right. So it's a good question. So I developed a lot of those. So I hate to think they're completely <laughs> outdated. Uh, you know, we're going back about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're effective to some degree. But here's two challenges with them. Number one is many of us already know them. Right. Mm. So, you know, if you know scratching your nose or crossing your arms, is going to make you look shifty or defensive. You're going to avoid doing those things that give yourself away. The other thing is in the age of COVID and you know, you've got people where communication takes place now, maybe, you know, in different rooms or thousands of miles away, or people are masked up, you don't have access to the tra- traditional body language signs that you once did. 
Um, so for those two reasons, they're, they're kind of outdated. And so we really developed just an entirely new slew of more sophisticated techniques, which are much more difficult to, uh, to get around. Even, you know, they can even be used on me and I wrote the book mm -hmm. on it. So they're, they're, uh, it's very exciting in terms of what we're able to learn about somebody else. Is it, are people doing this consciously or subconsciously? And what I mean by that is a lot of the things that you're talking about are things that we say, like the way we, the way we put together a story about something that happened. Are we, are we, you, you, we're going to go through the, all of the specific examples, Sure. but are we doing that intentionally or is it subconsciously? Right. It's a great question. So we're doing it largely subconsciously. We're obviously speaking consciously, uh, but we are unaware of the fact that a lot of what we mean to say um, is coming through in the subtext of what it is that we are saying. So even a person who wants to lie and says, I didn't touch your dog or your cat or your car, whatever it is, even though he means to say the words, what he's not aware of that how he chooses to express himself is giving him his real self away if in fact he's not being honest. Hmm. Okay, so let's go through some of these examples so that people know what to look for um, or listen for, really. That, um, right. <laughs> um, you start um, talking about pronouns. Why are pronouns important to to listen out for? Right. So just, you know, I'm not a big grammatical guy. I'm sure there's a more <laughs> fancier way of saying that. So it's uh, when I speak about pronouns, it's only because I have to, not because I've, you know, I, I love so much uh, the intricacies of the English language, although it is some aspects are fascinating. What we found is, for example, that with pronouns, there's a wealth of information that is disclosed. And one is that a person that's using a pronoun, such as I or me or my, uh, is much more inclined to believe what it is that they're saying uh, because linguistically they're wanting to attach themselves to the, themselves. Meaning, for example, if I say, you know what, Zelina, I really liked your presentation or I loved what you said in the meeting. That's quite different than if I said nice presentation or it looks like you did a lot of research, right? Mm -hmm. In the first sentences, I'm saying, I really like your presentation. I loved what you said. I'm attaching an I to it. But when we take the linguistic I out of it, there is a greater chance, and again, one of the reasons why the book has gotten so much attention is because we don't rely on these one-trick ponies and just, you know, one clue for every sentence. There are seven, eight, nine, ten different markers within a sentence. But the first thing to pay attention to is where is the pronoun? Is it there? Does a person believe in what they're saying? Or do they feel more responsible and obligated to their words? Or are they taking the linguistic I out of it, which increases the likelihood that they may not be so sincere? Well, that happens all the time. People always give those fake compliments. See, now I'm going to be looking at them all sideways. <laughs> right, right. Because, <laughs> again, you know, just, people give yeah. the, the, the sort of backhanded compliments all the time. I'm in a sort of like public-y sort of weird sure. space in my life um, and that I am have a public job. People give all kinds of like not really compliments like not in the, because it because there's a lot of jealousy there's a lot of like i want what you have i mean my thing is just like just go get it it's fine like you don't want what i have go get your own thing but um but my point is is that there's a lot of like compliments that don't include the i now i'm mm -hmm. gonna know see right i'm gonna know <laughs> thank you david um another yeah. thing um you say is passive voice so so give us some examples of how passive voice could be used 
in conjunction with this new rule we learned about pronouns to to help us see when people are not really sincere when they're when they're telling us something. Right. So there's another marker, and that is that when a person is being honest, they're more likely to use an active voice. Uh, I gave her the pen rather than uh, she took the pen from me. Uh, so again, I gave her the pen, that's using the pronoun I, and gave her the pen, that's active. She took the pen, is passive. And again, the research shows that the active voice is something that is indicative of greater honesty. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And just when going back to pronouns, you'll see that there are examples that we, if we just pay attention to it, becomes glaringly obvious. You know, Jack and Jill walk out of a first date, uh, the restaurant, and Jack says, uh, Jill says to Jack, where did we park the car? Now, a seemingly benign statement, but as soon as she says, where did we park the car, rather than where did you park the car, she's already begun to identify with themselves, with herself as a couple with Jack. If it was mm -hmm. a bad date, you can bet dollars to known us, she would have said, where did you park the car? Not that where did we park the car, or even more so our car. Interesting. Oh, okay. I like this. This is fun. Um, <laughs> it's like, I like these clues. Well, I, I like this because I do feel like it is important to be able to tell if people are telling the truth. Because you can get hurt by people who are who are lying and, and telling you falsehoods in life in a lot of different contexts. And so it's important to have the ability to be able to um, differentiate and sort of have some sort of intuition about it. Um, okay, distancing language. What's an example of that? Right. So distancing language is fascinating. And that's where like a person can say something such as, uh, there's a nice idea or here's a nice idea, or there you go, or here we go. Now, when we use here instead of there, we are linguistically bringing ourselves closer to the person or the situation. And once again, there's a greater likelihood that we have more affinity or interest or attention to that. Now, saying there's a great idea does again, it does not mean that the person's not interested. But when we lose, use language that brings us linguistically closer, like here we are or here we go, it's a greater likelihood that the person, uh, again, has more affinity or interest in what it is that they're saying. And also what's fascinating, I know, you know, the turning ourselves into Patrick Jane is very appealing, <laughs> but what we also uh, find is you're going to be able to learn not just whether someone's being honest or lying, but whether they're interested, whether they're confident. And I think one of the most important sections are gauging someone's emotional health. You know, mm. if you meet somebody in a bar, an elevator, restaurant, hiring them as your nanny or assistant, to know whether they're emotionally uh, safe within the first five minutes of the conversation is something obviously that can save you a lot of time, money, energy, and heartache. What would be a huge red flag if you met somebody and you were hiring them to be your nanny? What would be like I, the worst sentence to say? <laughs> that's a great question. So I look for, the, the, I look for a couple of things. I don't want to rely too heavily on one or two markers, but some things to pay attention to uh, are boundaries. You know, the boundaries are not meant to keep people out. Boundaries are meant to define our personal sense of space and responsibility and obligation. So if I'm looking to hire a nanny, for example, and I see a breach in boundaries, she opens a drawer 
or she comes in maybe without knocking into a different room, or she maybe gets a little bit too close, maybe puts her hand on my shoulder. Seemingly innocent gestures, but to me, they're waving red flags because a person that doesn't have a clear sense of boundaries is someone who maybe, again, not always, but it may be indicative of poor emotional health. And of course, there are probably 12, 14 different markers I would want to pay attention to that I show people uh, what to look out for, what to listen to, and what to watch for. And in all the five minutes, you can decide whether or not, and I mean, how many times we've been there, there's something just not right about this person, but we can't put our finger on it. Yeah. Now we can put our finger on it. Oh, so intuition is like a real thing. Yes, it is. And you know, when people have that gut instinct about not getting into that elevator with that person, because they don't want to embarrass them or they feeling foolish. Don't. The worst case is, is this person thinks you're a kook. Uh, and the best case obviously is you saved yourself from something very bad. Trust your gut, trust your instinct. It doesn't mean it's always right. But one of the nice things about the book is that it allows you to put something concrete to those mm -hmm. feelings. So you can either dismiss them as being paranoid or overly sensitive, or you could say, ah, I was right. I like this because they're, the boundaries thing is really important. I've actually sort of reframed boundaries the, in defining what boundaries mean in my own life recently because the pandemic sort of made it easier, right? Because you're separated from everyone and you have to only with intention go to be with people. So in, I'm not in places like with people I don't want to be with, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause yeah. like, I don't, yeah. you know, you, you don't have to do those kinds of things anymore. Um, you can only do things with intention. And so I've, I've thought about boundaries now as like the front door to my house as, as opposed to, you know, walls you're putting up, like, no, yeah. you don't, you don't get to come in unless I let you in and That's like, right. you know, and, and sort of just being protective that way, even to the point where like I put my phone on the charger and like turn it over. Right. I have very, very strict yeah. boundaries with like who can contact me. That's Why right. is that healthy? Right. Again, because boundaries are necessary for every relationship to thrive. And it allows for us to define, just as you said, our personal space of responsibility and obligation. And there are sometimes, you know, we've got certain people who are people pleasers and they don't want, you know, we're wired for connection. So the, the fear of some people is disconnection. But the challenge there is that they'll allow people into their space in an unhealthy way because they fear that the other person is going to reject them or not like them if they don't accommodate them. But a person who doesn't res respect our boundaries, not only is the relationship uh, tricky to manage, but it injures our own emotional health. And much the same way when we talk about boundaries, it's not just about somebody coming into our a space in an unhealthy way. It also requires letting other people into our space in a healthy way. You know, there are folks who don't want to let anyone into their space because they have what we call either an avoidant personality or they've got one of the personalities that don't feel comfortable taking help or assistance or feeling vulnerable or, or needy in a healthy way. And so unfortunately, those people put up very strong walls. They won't come into our space in an unhealthy way, but at the same time, there's no real connection. There's no real relationships with other people because they're afraid to let other people into their space in a healthy way. This is really helpful and fascinating. I hope you guys are learning a lot. I'm I'm learning a lot. So can we apply these lessons to public figures? I mean, this is a political channel. 
and uh, yeah. there's a lot of people running for office of various types. We yeah. just lived through a period of American history where, you know, there were a lot of lies being told on television. Um, and I feel like some people could tell and some people could not. Um, how do we apply these rules right. to what right. people on TV are saying? Public figures. Does, does this, do these rules work yeah, through a TV most, screen? Yeah, they most certainly do. And, you know, it's kind of thing where... It's, it's something called the reticular activating system. It's RAS for short, and it's in the brain stem. It's part of the brain that's responsible for zoning in on information that you need to pay attention to and dismissing information that you don't want to pay attention to, which is why you may have had the experience of getting a new pair of glasses or maybe leasing a new car or getting a new outfit. And you begin to see those things on the road or on, on the mm -hmm. people, right, because you're paying attention to it. So much the same way, there's something called cognitive biases or under the field of heuristics where we pretty much hone in on things that are consistent with our thinking and we dismiss things that are not which is why a liberal and a conservative can have a conversation about the very same you know scene and one says don't you see all that and the other says what are you talking about didn't you see that so you know our biases filter out again what we don't want to pay attention to and they hone in on what they do so one way really to get the clearest oh. picture is to take that sort of ego out of the way mm. and the need because if I can put you into a box, if I can categorize you and label you, then I can tell myself I feel more secure. But really the opposite is happening because I'm not able to clearly observe what is happening. I'm only seeing a projection of my own insecurities. Oh, okay. So I see what you're saying. So should we try to watch the television and like tune out our biases how do we how do we do it where we can you know because people th this is a critical moment in american history we need to be able to tell if the people who are running to represent us are lying or not regardless right. of party so that's right yeah. so so is the best approach to sort of put our biases um, our preconceived notions to the side how do we do that? Certainly, right. Now, that's easier said than done. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the done part is, is two chapters. But the said part is just what you said, is that if we're able to, the, the, the very first step, by the way, to, to try and answer just at least the, the surface of the question, is to be cognizant, to rec recognize what it is that we're doing. Because if I'm able to whether look, look at a tree or look at a candidate and really observe it without bringing my eye to it, I'm able actually to see it, to connect with it, to understand it. But again, it's my own insecurities that force me to already judge, to label, to categorize, to decide what it is before I even observe it. In which case, it makes me less emotionally healthy and less able to make a decision because again, I'm not seeing what is, I'm seeing what I need to see. Oh, okay. So actually, my last question is, do these rules apply and and how can you sort of apl apply them, these techniques? If someone is lying and you know they're lying, like you already know from like, you know, some other way, right? This happens right. a lot, right? Yeah. You yeah. know the person's lying. You have proof they're lying, but they're still standing in front of you and they're lying. I mean, yeah. how do you approach that situation? Because I feel like that happens a lot. Right. That's a great question. So nine out of 10 times, I what I do is I say nothing. And the reason is because, first off, is even though, again, I wrote the books and I do the trainings and I've been doing this for the better part of 25 years, I could still get it wrong. So I want to make sure I'm able to gather information. As soon as you accuse somebody of lying, you put them on the defensive. Mm -hmm. And 
if they are lying, of course, they're going to dig their heels in deeper. And if they're not lying, they're going to say, what are you talking about? You're not going to get any more information. And, you know, we all have people in our lives that may not be 100% honest, but you know, sometimes people lie for really funny reasons. They don't mean to be mean, to be manipulative. They do it because they want to enhance themselves to us. Maybe they are fearful that we will reject them if we don't accept them. Um, so what I try to do if I want this person in my life is to bring the person closer to me to help them to feel more comfortable in a genuine way. And then you're going to find, once again, nine out of ten times, those that deception sort of fades away because they don't need to put on airs. They need to put on a show. That's much different if somebody is outright trying to manipulate me, to lie to me, to cheat, to steal, something like that. Obviously, you want to take protective measures. But in our general relationships, I find that the most effective way to enjoy people who may not mm -hmm. be just 100% honest is really to work on the relationship and rather than call them out on their lies. I like that. I like that a lot. And I feel like that's advice everybody um, can take to heart because everybody knows a liar out here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the book is Mind Reader, the new science of deciphering what people really think, what they really want and who they really are. The book is by Dr. David Lieberman. Thank you so much for being here. I learned a lot. I, I'm not I'm the mentalist, but again, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> Terrific. It's my pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.